unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And welcome once again to the show. Coming up on this edition, we will talk to Alan Bestwick, longtime motor racing announcer who uh, just spent the server calling the Superstar Racing Experience for CBS. We'll talk to Alan about that and also get his thoughts on the uh, passing of uh, one of the great uh, motorsports announcers ever in Bob Jenkins. Alan is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. Wanted to give you some thoughts on the Field of Dreams game that is being played as I record right now. Uh, between the New York Yankees and the Chicago White Sox. Of course, they are playing in Dyersville, Iowa, where the Field Dreams movie was shot with Kevin Costner. And man, it is spectacular. You know, this kind of reminds me of, you know, like the NHL, their uh, stadium series, you know, the outdoor games has gotten a little stale. But when they did that thing at Lake Tahoe this year, it just made it, you know, so much more refreshing. And baseball, which is suited for pageantry, this is perfect for. And I like what they've done in recent years playing at the uh, Little League uh, venue at Williamsport, the College World Series venue in Omaha, and uh, playing at Fort Bragg, things along along that line. Uh, but doing this with the Field of Dreams was just a genius idea. Commissioner Rob Manfred, uh, I guess, has stated that this is not a one and done, that they will do it again. And this I could see being a tradition. Now, a lot of these a lot of these games that they kind of take out of the out of the box and try to do uh, in, 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 in overkill them, you know, like the NFL with the London games. Uh, you know, I know they're trying to build their fan base across the pond, but I don't. I don't like NFL games being constantly shuttled over there because in the NFL, you know, your home teams get eight, I guess maybe now nine games with a 17-game schedule. You know, it's it's American football should be played here all the time. You know, if they did London every once in a while, like not every year, I could probably get get behind that a little bit more. Baseball's got more inventory to work with. So if they did Field of Dreams every single season, I think I could get on board with that. And it's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, and who's called NASCAR, college football, college women's basketball. He's done quite a bit, and it is my pleasure to welcome Alan Bestwick to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Allen, thank you so much for joining the program. Yeah, a pleasure. Uh, glad to be here with you. Well, you know, I reached out to you last week about being on the show to talk about the uh, about the uh, SRX and then uh, and among other things. But, uh, you know, we did get the the terrible news this week uh, regarding Bob Jenkins, a longtime uh, uh, voice of NASCAR and, and Indy uh, passed away. Uh, you know, sad story due to brain cancer. Uh, if you could just take a moment to kind of uh, reflect and kind of share your your feelings about Bob Jenkins. Uh, Bob and I never worked together. We were always about a half a generation apart, but we worked with many of the same people. And um, 
our network was a close one. Uh, Benny Parsons, for example, uh, Bob and I both worked extremely closely with him. We're, we're terrific friends with. So, so Bob and I uh, became uh, friendly kind of through our mutually shared experiences. And my impression of Bob is that I've never heard someone say anything bad about him. Yeah, television and live television, and particularly a live television of a, an event like the Indianapolis 500 or, uh, or a NASCAR race is high tension. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of interdependency with a lot of different people. Um, and it's easy to kind of uh, get heated in a moment. And I've never, ever heard a single story like that about Bob. He was literally the nicest human being that I've ever met on this planet. He was as genuine, as down to earth, as friendly as they come. His passion was real. He never had the need to be a star. Look at me, look at me. It was always about the racers and the people around him. And um, just a genuinely good man. Um, and, and, you know, they say bad things happen to good people. Bob lost his wife to cancer, uh, uh several years back. And, uh, and then he himself was afflicted, you know, this for the second time. Uh, but, but just one of the nicest human beings you would ever meet. And I'll remember that more. His work was, was tremendous. His work was outstanding. Many of the most memorable moments you could probably think of in NASCAR or the Indy 500, Bob was there for, but that's not what I'll remember him for. I'll remember him for just being a genuinely nice human being. Well, thank you for sharing those uh, thoughts. And uh, yes, he's, you know, our thoughts and prayers certainly uh, with, with his, uh, with his family and with the motorsports racing uh, world as well. Um, so this summer, uh, superstar racing experience, uh, you know, uh, Ray Evernham, Tony Stewart, uh, getting behind this venture, you know, short tracks, dirt tracks, you know, Saturday night racing, mm -hmm. a real nice slice of Americana. Uh, how much did you enjoy that experience? Uh, on a scale of one to 10, 95. <laughs> um, it was phenomenally fun. Um, the whole mix of it, the the drivers that were involved, the way that the drivers bought into the concept, the, the iconic American short tracks involved and the fans there, uh, the CBS crew, most of whom had never done an automobile race in their life before. Great TV professionals, the Masters, uh, the Super Bowl, never been involved in an auto racing telecast in their life. And it's a whole different animal. Uh, just tremendous people. So the whole thing was just, it was such fun that six weeks went by way too quickly. Um, I would love for it to have been longer, but I understand leave them one more. And, mm -hmm. and uh, we look forward to what is hopefully season two, uh, somewhere, uh, you know, nine, nine or 10 months from now. And you talk about the mix of drivers, you know, we obviously Tony Stewart's driving, you know, Tony Kanaan, Paul Tracy, Helio Castroneves, uh, Bobby Labonte, Bill Elliott. I mean, just, a, you know, great legends in racing and not just NASCAR, but but uh, IndyCar and and Formula One kind of uh, drivers, uh, you know, definitely was a great experience to see that mixed together. And, and it was kind of cool to have some of the local uh, at the local tracks, having like the local track star be part of that, too. That was kind of a neat little uh, twist to the, to the event. 
Yeah, I think I think the whole concept was really well thought out. Uh, Ray Abraham has been a great friend for for many many years, and he approached me two years ago with the the basics of the concept, which was we're going to take the old IROC series, the International Race of Champions, champion drivers from different forms of motorsport, put them in identically prepared cars, let them go, and we're going to reboot it for modern days, and we're going to eliminate all the things that gave IROC troubles, like sponsor conflicts and and scheduling drivers currently racing for a championship look if you've got a 20 million dollar sponsor backing a driver currently racing for a nascar or an indycar championship you as a team owner are going to be very reluctant to let them go race in this irock thing we eliminated that by using guys who still are competitive still fit still very uh wanting to race but past the point in their life where they want to do what needs to be done to race for a championship. Uh, A NASCAR championship is a 12 month a year endeavor. It's relentless, seven days a week, 12 months a year. Uh, But Bill Elliott showed us, first of all, I'm I'm, and I'm in pretty good shape. Bill, I'm jealous of the condition Bill is in at 65 years old and got out there in a race car and had a blast. Uh, was very competitive, was very smiley, which I think was the, the, the thing that resonated the most with me about the whole project. Everybody was smiling. Everybody was having fun. And that, that was what made it so much of a blast to do. And of course, you uh, worked with uh, Danica Patrick as your uh, booth partner, and you know, and Danica, you know, not just a race car driver, but she's a brand. Yes. <laughs> you know, what was it like working with Danica, and was there anything about working with her that surprised you that uh, that you you know didn't expect? No, because I knew enough about Danica from her racing days to understand that whatever she gets involved in, she wants to do well. And so she came at this wanting to do well, though maybe it being something very new to her, um, you know, being the, the focal piece of a, of a national television broadcast for a couple of hours that didn't involve, you know, teleprompters or, or rehearsals. I mean, literally we went on the air the first night at, at Stafford with zero minutes of rehearsal. Boom, you're on the air, go. And that goes for the entire crew. Um, so I wasn't surprised. Uh, you know, she, she invested. She was interested. Uh, she was, as I knew her to be, intelligent, insightful, witty, had a sense of humor, had a good sense of sarcasm, and, uh, and was a lot of fun to hang around. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Alan, uh, you know, our paths crossed uh, briefly in the 90s, uh, you know, when you were with MRN. Uh, I worked at WGTO in Orlando at the time, and you, we were the affiliate. And, of course, uh, uh, we had Alan Bestrick at 445 every afternoon with the uh, NASCAR Today broadcast. And, of course, uh, you had a, had a lengthy uh, time there with MRN and uh, just kind of wanted to get your uh, reflections on working with that. And one of the things that I also find amazing about MRN on a, on a race broadcast is unlike any other, you have multiple play-by-play guys and you have to seamlessly pass the baton to each other. I think that's one of the jewels in broadcasting. I would remain eternally proud of the work that we did um, with the group that we had at the time that we had them. Um, I will feel like 
MRN was a vital part of NASCAR's skyrocketing growth in that period of time. Um, great broadcasters doing good work, uh, covering great events is, is, is my, my brief summary of it. You know, a lot of this, as you know, is an instinct. You either get it or you don't. You can do it or you don't. I can tell you from my time at MRN, because I eventually became one of the managers of the network, that, that we auditioned a lot of people and a lot of really good broadcasters. And some of them you could tell right away we're just never going to get it. Um, but some of them right away that maybe weren't nationally known broadcasters, but you could tell, okay, give this kid a little time, he or she will be really good at this. It's a system. Uh, it's an instinct. It's an understanding. Um, and it's a self-edit. One, one of the most difficult things for people to do in broadcasting and people to learn is how to self-edit. Is what you're saying right now more important than what I'm seeing in front of me? Or do I need to jump in and cut you off? Everyone had tremendous self-editing instincts in our group um, at that time. And I think that's a large part of what made it uh, so good and so much fun. Yeah, most definitely. And, and as you mentioned, you know, that being a big part of the NASCAR growth, you know, NASCAR at one time was really thought of as a Southern sport. And uh, it, it really kind of grew into the 90s and early 2000s on the mainstream level. Um, you know, I think the economy uh, situation kind of uh, hurt a little bit. A lot of star power, uh, you know, uh, left NASCAR. What do you, how would you state the assessment of what NASCAR is today? What are they doing well? What do they need to do better? Well, I think one of the things that, I, I, that, that many groups suffer from is overreacting to the latest moment, positively or negatively. And if you step back and look at it from, from the, the old 30,000 foot view, I don't think NASCAR has fared any better or any worse than most sports over the last decade. The, the television viewing for most sports over the last decade has gotten very fragmented. The Olympics just had their lowest numbers in forever. Um, NASCAR still commands a sizable audience and a valuable audience. What I think they've done well is what made part of what made the sport boom in the 90s was going new places and doing new things, new tracks that came online. Remember, Indianapolis debuted in 1994, uh, new speedways in Texas, California, uh, Kansas, Chicagoland. Going new places was part of the fuel that propelled NASCAR's rise. The success of the business almost handcuffed them into doing the same thing over and 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 over, and over again. And people got bored and it's too easy to tune away. And once you tune away, it's incredibly hard to get you to tune back. So one of the things that I think they've done well is they've come to understand maybe where they stepped out of bounds. You see how many changes there were to the schedule this year. I mean, this weekend, I'm talking to you from Indianapolis. 
27 years of racing on the traditional oval track in Indianapolis. And this weekend, the Cup cars are going to race on the road course here. And I'll bet it's going to be a heck of a show. The traditionalist in me says, but wait, it's the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yeah, but it wasn't resonating with fans. So let's try something different. That's something NASCAR wouldn't have done for much of the last decade. And I give them enormous credit for stepping back and saying, wait, we need to get it. We need to start thinking outside this box we put ourselves in and, and the changes will resonate with people. That's a very interesting concept. How, how do you think the multi-car uh, teams affect the sport? Is it good for the sport? Is it a detriment? Well, it's both. Um, the problem with, with auto racing in general, and I don't care with it, whether this is at Orlando Speed World on a Friday night or Daytona Speedway on a Sunday afternoon, uh, it's expensive. Racing is expensive. Money buys speed. For every person out there seeking to make his or her race car faster, there's five people out there inventing ways that they can buy to help that happen. And racers are the worst at budgeting those expenses. They're the worst. <laughs> They'll spend every single dollar they can get their hands on in the belief that it'll help them win. And making those judgments, you know, incrementally is, 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 is a skill that most racers are the worst at. Uh, I mean, I, you know, Bill France Jr. once said to me, uh, talking about his championship, at the time his, his cup championship paid a million dollars to win the championship. And he said to me, he said, my championship pays a million dollars to win. Somebody's going to spend five million to try and win it. Somebody may spend 10 million to try and win that one million. Will they spend 20? Probably not. If I make my championship 5 million to win, somebody's probably going to spend 20 to try and win it. Mm. And that's that endless balance in, 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 uh, in racing. That's, that's, that's so difficult, uh, to manage of scale. Um, on the downside, when that one company hits on something, it can, you know, it can tip the scales heavier than it would be in the past. The, the cost of entry is so high that the number of people who can afford to do it are, are few. And those efficiencies of scale become important. Some of the things that IndyCar has done and that NASCAR is doing are helping to lower the cost of entry where it becomes more viable for a single car team to compete against the big dogs. Um, important for the sport's future takes time and effort to make that happen. Uh, I see it happening in both series, much to the benefit of both series, I believe. Well, I also wanted to chat with you too. Uh, you know, even though you uh, have a long career in motorsports, you have called other things. And uh, I know you spent uh, quite a bit of time at ESPN calling college football. Wanted to kind of get your thoughts on some of the off-field news that has kind of uh, been generated, you know, with the uh, proposed expansion of the college football playoff to 12 teams and the departures of Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, which now looks like it'll trigger uh, a little bit of, a little bit more realignment. Uh, wanted to get your takes on those thoughts. Yeah, you know, it's it's college athletics are interesting, right? The 
the value of participation is incredibly high. Most, I mean, it's like the old NCAA. I hate to give the NCAA credit for much of anything, but give them credit <laughs> for that old commercial. Most of our student athletes will go pro in something besides sports. That's still true. But ask any one of those kids that played on UCF's football teams that maybe weren't one of the handful that were going to have a shot at making the pros for a few years about their experience. And it'll be the, the, one of the defining moments of their life being part of that sport and that organization and, and what carried them through their education and created this network through which they can succeed in the rest of their life. College sports is complicated. It's expensive. When you go through the public records of all 50 states in this union, the highest paid government employee in all 50 states is probably the football or basketball coach at one of the state universities. <laughs> Are they worth it? Well, look at the amount of money they bring in. College football is the single most method of engagement of alumni back to a university. The things the University of Alabama has accomplished in fundraising, not just athletically, as a result of their football team success is mind boggling. Go look at the campus in Tuscaloosa and the academic buildings and the residential halls and the dining halls and all these things, the research buildings built on the backs of that football money. It's mind boggling. But 95% of the universities in America can't live with that economic model. They can't do it. So the the changes in college athletics are intriguing to me to see where they'll wind up. And I'd be lying to you if I said I had any idea. I think that they'll put the expansion of the college football playoff on hold while they see what conference realignment means. If you're a UCF, this is, this is it. If you're a UConn, if you're uh, one of those schools outside of the current Power Five, and maybe some that are inside the current Power Five, this is a defining moment in your future and your legacy with college football and what the realignment looks like. And I, I, if I, I would be lying if I told you I had any idea where it was going, but I'm going to be fascinated to watch it play out. Yeah, it's definitely something uh, amazing to keep keep an eye on. And now you have the name, image, and likeness uh, scenario playing all into this as well. So now, yeah. you know, money to be made now for the players too. So yeah, there's a but how yeah. and and how that plays out and how that affects the and what every coach is worried about right now, how that affects the dynamic inside the locker room. This supposed star wide receiver that's struggling and hurt and not making many catches. And I'm over here and I'm a walk on and I'm I'm leading the team and receiving and you're getting four hundred thousand dollars in money from Instagram or whatever. And I'm not getting anything. How does that affect the locker room? Because teams means a team means everyone has to pull together. And I don't know if you saw the Ernie Johnson clip. Uh, and his speech to the University of Alabama football team. But, but uh, EJ is just a terrific guy. And what, what a brilliant speech. But it's so true. I have to look at you and say, I'm willing to run through walls for you. I'm willing to do anything for you. And how this name, image, and likeness revenue is going to affect that is going to be fascinating to me. 
Yeah, no question about it. Um, one of the other endeavors you're involved with is calling a UConn women's basketball. Yep. And uh, you, uh, I'm curious, you know, obviously as a play-by-play guy, you love doing any sport, anytime, anywhere. Do you feel you have a little bit more responsibility when you're doing that for a dynasty? Um, not really, because I take everything that I do kind of at that level. Um, but I knew what I was getting into when I walked in there. Um, I was referred to the job by a friend who was very close to the program and said, these are, these are your kind of people. They're doing things the way you like to do them. And the, you know, SNY, which is the New York Mets regional sports network out of New York city are, are the television network first class in every way. I mean, literally the best broadcast in major league television and those people do UConn women's basketball. Um, Gino Oriema is fun, fascinating, and incredibly thoughtful. Nothing happens by accident with Gino. And so when you start to dig into and watch why, it's a, it's a fascinating exercise every year in teaching and team building and execution. Um, we have a really, really good time. And at this point in my career, that's kind of high on my priority list too, is I want to be around a bunch of people that want to have fun making television. And we have a really good time doing this project. Uh, UConn is loaded with talent this year. Uh, but as we've seen, um, you know, only one team wins the national championship. Here's, here's a program that's, that's been to the final four for 13 straight years and won 11 national championships overall. And the bar is pretty high. They're, they're loaded. Uh, it'll be a fun winter for sure in stores, Connecticut, and, and uh, a lot of fun to see what, uh, what this team does to maximize its potential. And as far as the move back to the Big East, you know, they ran through the American undefeated in their tenure there. Um, is, is this move obviously was more basketball related for UConn than it was football related? Uh, you know, give me your thoughts on, you know, you, on the Big East as far as the women's game goes. Well, uh, on a broader picture, the UConn move back to the Big East was it made too much sense. UConn basketball, both men's and women's, um, is incredibly storied. Great history, uh, great coaches, great rivalries. And now I, you know, no offense to anyone, right? But on a Tuesday night in January, you're playing UCF or Tulane or some school that you don't have that kind of, and that again, that's nothing against Coach Abe and UCF's great program, nationally prominent. But they're not someone that UConn has a long history with, whereas you put the name, uh, you know, you put Villanova or Seton Hall or St. John's, schools that are long in their history against UConn. And not only that, but we're, you know, talking about the, the economics of college sports. Look, how much sense does it make to charter a plane to fly your men's or women's basketball team to New Orleans to play a game against Tulane when you can get on a bus and drive down the street to play Providence or St. John's or Seton Hall or Villanova, you know? So it made too much economic sense 
it made too much sense with, you know, when you're selling your tickets to your fans, they know those opponents. So it just made too much sense. And what, what the athletic director, David Benedict, Benedict has done with the UConn football schedule and taking them to be an independent, the schedule he's crafted is both regionally attractive to selling tickets and financially better for the university than it was being in a conference. And they're going to keep the civil conflict with UCF alive for a little while. Longer, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but, you, but 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 there's this, Jeff. UCF is now a national brand in football. Mm-hmm. You bring UCF to stores, Connecticut, that sells tickets. Absolutely. It sells tickets. Yep. They are a national brand in football. UCF is one of the linchpins to conference realignment. I will be very, very, very curious to see how this all plays out where UCF is concerned because of the prominence of their football brand. And a brand that probably, you know, gets even gets the, uh, the elevation with uh, Gus Malzahn and his pedigree coming in to take over the program. Yeah. It doesn't hurt a thing. You know, they have to play, they have to play people. They have to win games, but from Scott Frost to coach to Josh Heupel, now to Gus Malzahn, UCF has built a national brand. I mean, I, I guess it started with George O'Leary too, right? They've built a national brand in college football. Um, it wasn't always the most attractive thing to play some of those Thursday or Friday night games, right? But they did it and it paid off. Uh, they're a national brand. They are one of the people in control of their own destiny in this whole moving target of realignment. And of course, uh, you are doing public address for uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And uh, it's interesting, I had this conversation with uh, Jeff Sharon, who's the PA announcer at UCF. And, you know, used to be that uh, public address was, you know, the ball carry gains five yards, it's third and five. You know, now public address is pretty much evolved into its own in-stadium broadcast, if you will. Give me your thoughts on on doing it from that side of the equation. Yeah, sure. Well, um, you are correct. In-stadium presentation is a thing, um, especially as, as, as the broadcasting of so many sports and so many events has become so ubiquitous uh, and, and, and is done so well. What am I going to do to make you get in your car, come downtown, pay for parking, pay for a ticket, you know, pay concession price or whatever it is to see our event. Well, you better have a good time while you're there, no matter what the score is on the floor or on the ice or on the field or on the track, you better have a good time. So the, the attention on in-house presentation has, has risen dramatically in the last uh, five years, I would say. Uh, Roger Penske bought the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, now two years ago. And one of his main areas of focus was the fan experience at the Speedway. And they have invested millions of dollars. You know, Indianapolis is a big place. You think about, think about a football stadium and the running track that goes around the field at that stadium is one quarter of a mile. Indianapolis is two and a half miles. It's a big <laughs> place. So there's going to be a lot of the action that happens out of your field of vision. So the in-stadium presentation and experience is pretty important. 
Uh, Mr. Pansky and his company invested millions of dollars in upgrading the, the video boards they added. I, I don't even remember the count now of how many more video boards to the process. The sound system is, is this Bose sound system that's it's unbelievable. And they do produce it like a television broadcast. The gentleman that's in charge of it was my old boss at ESPN. And when Mr. Pensky charged him with, you know, doing more with the in-house presentation, uh, he called me and said, you know, what are you doing in the month of May? And I already know the answer, you know, a no brainer for me. I love, I love Indianapolis. I love the Speedway. Um, it's, uh, it's an important part of my life. So we are here doing a completely separate television production strictly for the people sitting in the stands. What's important to you while you're sitting there? How can I help your enjoyment of the day? And it might be information. It might be energy. It might be a laugh. But it, it is, um, it's every bit as prepared for and thought out as the television broadcast is, as the radio broadcast is. And it is such a critical part of sports today that more and more teams, uh, facilities, and sports are investing in it. It is uh, pretty impressive how all that uh, takes place, that is for sure. Well, Alan, this has been a blast. I really appreciate you taking the time out, especially as you're getting uh, prepared for the weekend. And uh, again, thanks for sharing all your thoughts, and uh, we wish you the best this weekend. It'll be a lot of fun, for sure. Thanks. And now let's close things out with a TV theme. and tell but I've been seen with Farrah I've never been with anything less than a nine so fine I've been on fire with Sally Field gone fast with a girl named Bo but somehow they just don't end up as mine it's a death defying life I lead I'd take my chances I'd die for living in the movies and TV thing I ever do is watch my leading ladies kiss some other guy while I'm bandaging my knee. I might fall from a tall building, I might roll a brand new car, cause I'm the unknown stuntman that made Redford such a star. Spent much time in school, but I taught ladies plenty. It's true, I hire my body out for pay. Hey, hey, I've gotten burned over Cheryl Teague's blown up for Rocky Welch. But when I wind up in the hay, it's only hay. Hey, hey, I might jump an open drawbridge or Tarzan from a vine. Cause I'm the unknown stuntman. Makes Eastwood look so fine They'll never make me president But I got the best curse, ladies Some days I've got them as far as the eye can see Ooh, A morning dive with Jackie Smith I crash in the night with Cheryl But in the end, they never stay with me I might fall from a tall building So Bert Reynolds don't get hurt I might leave a mighty canyon So he can kiss and flirt Well, that 
And that is the theme from The Fall Guy, right on ABC from November 81 to May of 1986. And the theme song sung by the star of the show, Lee Majors, who played Colt Seavers, a Hollywood stuntman who moonlights as a bounty hunter that uses his physical skills and knowledge of stunt effects uh, to capture fugitives and criminals. And uh, yes, there was life after the $6 million man and being married to Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> so Lee Majors managed to score another hit uh, uh, after his Bionic Man days uh, in The Fall Guy. And, of course, he sang the theme. Uh, in fact, we gave you not just the shortened edition that ran with the show, but we gave you the whole song. So there you go. Because that's, you know, we're all about customer service here. <laughs> uh, he is accompanied by his cousin and stuntman in training, Howie Munson who was played by Douglas Barr. And uh, the amusing part of, of, of Howie was that he always had uh, had a semester of something that related to whatever they were dealing with at the time for, you know, uh, oh, yeah, well, I had a, I had a semester of pre-med at, uh, at Columbia or uh, had a semester of pre-law at UCLA. <laughs> And he must have attended every college in America <laughs> based on uh, where he had specific uh, uh, coursework done. Also on the program, uh, fellow stunt performer Jody Banks, who was played by Heather Thomas. There were two Heathers that ruled the 1980s. They were Heather Locklear and Heather Thomas. Also on the show was Joanne Flug as Samantha Big Jack. Uh, she was the uh, the first bondsman. That worked it in from the from eighty two eighty five. That role was played by Marky Post as Cherry, Terry Shannon. Of course, uh, you know, sad to say that uh, Marky Post uh, passed away last week. Part of me selecting this theme was uh, the fact that you know we had already played Night Court uh, uh, recently when uh, Charlie Robinson passed. So uh, um, this was one of uh, Marky's other. In fact, she uh, had this gig before Night Court. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, I, 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 I don't want the TV theme to turn into a memoriam all the time, uh, but we seem to have had that run of late. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get uh, past that. Uh, but it was a kind of a, you know, a campy series, uh, but a good one. Lee Majors as the Fall Guy, our TV theme for this week. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.